Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Again, welcome to the Grove. If we haven't yet met, my name's Christian. I'm lead pastor here. Uh, I've been gone for a little bit, and so it's really good to be back with you guys. I want to say, first of all, thank you to Pastor Kyle, who was up here earlier. Uh, He was teaching these last couple weeks. Did a, a great job really helping us understand how vital it is to pay attention to God's truth and then pay attention to our own living out of God's truth. And so grateful for him. The second thing I want to do is pass along greetings to you all. Uh, Some of you know uh, Matt and Katie. Others of you have no clue who that is. But uh, I send greetings from our friends in Turkey uh, and send not just greetings, but deep gratitude for the encouragement that came with our trip. Uh, If you don't know, six of us were there in uh, in that country and in, in Istanbul specifically, and uh, got to spend time with uh, those, Matt and Katie, who have been members of our church when it first started, have now been there for a little while. And so we were there to just encourage them, get to, to love them and get to learn from them, see what they had been doing, uh, get to watch their, their young three-year-old son speak Turkish and them speak Turkish and take us around. And uh, it was just a, a joy to be with them. Um, and I, I want you to know as a church that uh, us getting to do that is an extension. This was an extension of your ministry here. You're a part of that. Whether you got to travel there or not, uh, they really do feel the, uh, the encouragement and the support from not just the six of us that were there, but, but from the whole church. And um, we're hopeful that they're going to be actually get some, some furlough time and going to be back in mid-December and then around for about a, a few months. They'll kind of split time between some different spots. But uh, for those that know them, uh, you'll probably get to see them. And those that don't, you maybe get to meet them in, in the coming months. Okay. Um, I, I will say we're not doing a formal like, hey, here's everything that happened on the trip. We would love to talk to you. So if you know uh, the Eppersons or the Harrises or Sarah and I, we'd love to tell you more. We can do that. Um, but I will pass along my greatest impression from the trip, sort of the thing that has stuck with me the most. There's a lot of really wonderful things that we learned and, and experienced. But my greatest impression was meeting two people. One in his probably early 80s, maybe late 70s, but he's still going strong, doing all kinds of ministry around the country. Um, and, his, and so meeting this man and another young man who's probably in his early 30s, who both in separate situations recalled just a couple decades ago when all of the known evangelical Christians in the country would gather together for a two-week summer camp. Now, I want you to hear that again, right? All of the known evangelical Christians in the country would get together. At that point, probably about 300 of them, maybe even less. And they would all come together. They'd have summer camp for two weeks and say, hey, let's enjoy getting to know each other. Now, two things that that stands out to me. One, there was only that enough of them. There were so few of them that all of them could get together today there are probably 10,000 or maybe even 12,000 in a country of 100,000, in, in, 100 million, I'm sorry, 100 million. So just for some perspective, uh, the Chiefs, I don't remember if they're playing in Arrowhead today, but if you were to go to Arrowhead, um, you might find six, okay, among the 60,000 or so that, that fill up Arrowhead, you might find six Christians in that entire stadium. Okay? That's what it's like to be a Christian in, in Turkey. 
Very, very few of them there. And they would get together again just a couple decades ago, get together to encourage and, and care for one another. So that, that was the interesting thing. One, that you could even identify that number. Um, and two, that they cared so much about being a part of the family of God that they made this a priority. That they made it a priority to be together because they knew, hey, we really do need each other. We, we're, for us to, to really live faithfully, we need this kind of encouragement. And so they made it a huge priority. And they did that because as we've been looking at, and we're going to continue to look today, family really does matter. And the family of God really does matter. To, to be with Christ is not just a solo effort. We've been looking at this, this letter, 1 Timothy. It's the first letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. He writes a second one. This is among what's known as the pastoral letters in the New Testament. But Timothy had been tasked by Paul to help bring order and build up the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is a city in Turkey. Okay? I want you to see just a little perspective. So here's a map, of a current day map. And you see the ancient city of Ephesus there in the southwest corner of Turkey. Most of Turkey is all off to the east. You see up in that top right corner, I'm sorry, the top left corner from your perspective, uh, Istanbul. And Istanbul is what's known as the bridge city. It, it spans Asia here on, the, on this right side and Europe there on the left. And so we spent time in both Asia and Europe. And, and so you see there, there, the difference is it's about a 330-mile distance between the two cities, um, which is today like, you know, if you were traveling to Oklahoma City, right? That's, that's about the distance. And, uh, and there you have the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a port city right there on the water, so this may, and a major, like a metropolitan area, just a, a massive, massive city there in Ephesus, and it exhibited a ton of influence, Okay, it's wealthy, it's influential, and so what Paul knew in writing this letter is that problems there would likely, because of the influence and because of its proximity to other places, problems there would likely become problems everywhere. And so he's addressing these false teachers who had infiltrated the church and were causing problems. They need to be addressed, and that's Timothy's responsibility. And so we've been saying from, from week one, we're in week nine, we're in the home stretch making our way through 1 Timothy, we've said that for Christ followers, fighting is the family business. This is what Paul encourages Timothy to do, fight the good fight. And that fight is something that we all do. It's the family business. It's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And, and we do that, though, for now. It's not an all the time, forever eternal thing. There's a fight to take place now. And that fight is to see God's plan carried out in the world. God has a plan. He, this is not just history randomly going wherever it wants to go, as if it could control something. No, this is time and space, eternity moving in the direction that God is directing it. And so we want to see God's plan carried out in the world, and that has everything to do with how we live before God, how we respond to his truth, how we live together. But one of the obstacles to carrying out God's plan is, as we've said, false teaching. And, and so there's this danger that we would tolerate those who would elevate themselves over God, right, their personal understandings over God, think that Scripture needs to be shaped by them, not them be shaped by Scripture. That we would, elevate, that we would tolerate those who play fast and loose with God's Word. And, and when that happens, more problems develop. 
And so it's vital that we recognize that God is true, that he is the standard, that his ways, what he values, what he cares about is what really truly matters. But then there's this other danger that as we try to stay sharp on the truth, okay, so we try to do this very thing that we've been talking about and fight this good fight of helping God's plan advance, there's a danger that we would kind of get disoriented and fail to recognize our real opponent. That suddenly we would start maybe even fighting amongst one another, not realizing, wait, there's, there's an actual opponent out there. We do need to deal with those who are promoting false teaching. But we need to be careful that we don't sort of create friendly fire in the process. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see that fighting well involves how we treat each other and how we take care of each other. Okay, that's where we're going. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy 5. Invite you to open your Bible or open uh, the one that's on the floor in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please take that as a gift from us to you. We're going to be in page 1071 in that particular Bible, but you can open up your phone or, or whatever and turn to 1 Timothy 5. I'm going to read for us and we'll look and, and see what it means for us to treat each other well and take care of each other as the family of God. So 1 Timothy 5, we're told this, don't rebuke an older man but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also, so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They're not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give their adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it can help widows in genuine need. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is timeless and eternal. God, we come before you wanting to be shaped by it, not wanting to twist it, but submitting ourselves to it, wanting to see us as Christ followers and us as your people, as the church, to be different as a result of having spent time reading and learning from your word. And so would you do that in us today? Would we admit that there's some hard to understand things here that we've just read? Maybe some things that at first glance really are, are kind of causing consternation in us even right now. And so I pray, Spirit of God, that you would give 
insight, that you would bring understanding. You would help us to see uh, the truth of who you are, what you've said, and what it means to know and follow you. Guide us, we pray, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Okay, so a couple things. One, as God's household, we're shown, we're being shown how we treat one another. And what we're told to do, first off, is to treat one another like family. Okay, that's the first thing Paul makes a point of. Treat one another like family. You say, well, of course. We've been saying we're the family of God. Of course we should treat each other like family. But let's also admit, right, that may not sound like such a good thing to some of you. You're just told, hey, treat the church, the people in the church, like family. And you, you think about the last time you were with family or even just your, even your own like, household and your, your mom and dad kids situation. You go, ah, I don't know a lot about what it means to be going to church, but probably shouldn't bring that here, right? Like that, that might be something you're thinking about. Or, or you just recognize, man, I, well, there's a lot of dysfunction in my family. There's a lot of things, a lot of ways in which I've been treated that I don't want other people to experience. So when we say it, oh, treat one another like family, it sounds nice. You can put that on a Hallmark card or needlepoint or something, but, but do we really want that to take place? And do we even understand what that means? So, so we're going to look at, but I, I would first draw our attention, what Paul's trying to do here is, is raise our sights to the fact that this has everything to do with this good news, what we call the gospel, the good news of what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be a child of God. See, we, we are not natively a part of the family of God. We can call God our, our creator. That is absolutely true. But to be a part of the family of God requires something to happen because natively what we've actually done is rebelled against God. We've told our Father in heaven, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I want to, I want to live my life my way. Famously, you go to Luke 15, the, the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. But this is our attitude. This is our sinful attitude. We, we either want God to have nothing to do with us or we think that we can sort of, God needs us and we treat him as if He's just dependent on us. But either way, it's a rebellion against what he has said, that, that he has made us to know him and walk with him, to be a part of his family, but that is not our native condition. And so we need to be brought back into his family. And this is this good news, that we are able to know our Father in heaven and to know him as our Father in heaven, and that he transforms all of our understandings, our, our probably messed up understandings in many cases of what it means to have a father or what it means to be a part of a family. He's reshaping that into the truth about what those words even mean. And so again, we don't take for granted the fact that treating one another like family is a, a good thing. But Paul does intend for us to do that, to understand what it means to be the family of God. And there's this danger for Timothy, okay? The reason he's addressing this is because there's a danger for Timothy that as he sets out to deal with the difficulties of leading, as he begins to, to teach people, hey, this is what we need to be doing, this is how we need to deal with these who are twisting truth, that as he does that, he would become kind of disoriented. And, and Paul mentions two potential problems. One, that, that Timothy would grow harsh. And so he tells him, he says, Timothy, don't rebuke an older man. He's really saying, don't rebuke any of these people. Okay. 
He says, don't rebuke an older man. Literally, that word means don't strike out verbally. Don't strike him verbally. And and that's part of the the challenge, right? When you have a large task to do, when it comes to instructing people, helping them understand how to walk in God's ways, and when you're trying to push back against people who are wanting to twist that, there's a temptation to want things to happen more quickly. And, And so you begin to just be very matter of fact. You start to exert, throw around your weight. And this is the problem that Paul foresees for Timothy. He says, you need to be really careful here. You don't strike out at people. You should treat them like family. Don't grow harsh. Don't don't rebuke them. And the other warning he gives is don't grow manipulative. Right? He, He finishes off and he's specifically talking about how Timothy would relate to the younger women in the congregation. And, you know, and I don't know all that he has in mind, but here you have Timothy, who's a relatively young man, probably in his 30s, probably single. And so there's some potential that, that in one way or another, he would look at those younger women and think, oh, I, you know what, there's, there's maybe a temptation here to see them as, as maybe being easily persuaded or, or as being just wanting to instruct them in such a way that it benefits him. And Paul says, no, no, look, treat them with all purity. Don't grow manipulative. Don't lack purity in your motives. So instead, what he's told to do is to exhort. He's told to exhort the family of God. That is, strongly urge them, but with this special quality. He wants them to be built up and encouraged. Now, I think what he really has in mind, and when we talk about treating one another like family, unfortunately, we may not go into our own families and think of the best example of that. But very often where we see this taking place is, is in sports. Right? Just the other night, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Rangers fan too, and uh, just the other night, so I'm watching the World Series, and you know, Corey Seager hits the game-tying home run, and it's like he's floating around the bases, and, and he's really a pretty, like, doesn't get really emotional, but he comes around third base, and he just unloads this high five to the third base coach, and then he goes into the dugout, and he's just high-fiving guys, and again, it's like he's floating, and all these guys are patting each other on the back, and, and they're just encouraging one another, urging one another. You see it in sports a lot. But it's the, the way we're to treat one another is that, hey, man, I'm on your team. We're here helping encourage one another. We're not here to, to slow everybody down, to, to constantly be berating each other, telling each other what we can't do. No, we're here to build each other up, to urge one another on. That's what we talk about, courage for living as a church. We want to put courage into one another because we need it. And that's what we're to do is to exhort one another. And this is how we're to treat each other in our families as well. It may not be your experience, but this is what God intends, that in our families and in the family of God, we are building each other up, encouraging each other on. But this only happens if we recognize two things. The first one is that we're accountable to each other. We have to recognize we are accountable to each other. So Paul gives him these instructions, expecting that that the church is going to respond to the instruction they're being given. Because they recognize Timothy is a leader among them. He does have a certain kind of authority. And they also understand that what happens to one of them affects the other. And so we have to know we are accountable to each other. Paul says it elsewhere in Ephesians 4. Put away lying. Speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. Again, what happens to one impacts another. So we can't go around lying to each other. 
It creates this whole web of deceit and mistrust, and it causes all kinds of problems. So what Paul has in mind here is Timothy. Look, you, you need to, th- this is the family of God. We need to, you do need to urge people on, but we need to understand as the family of God, yeah, there's going to be times where we need, we need somebody to come and say, hey, wait, let's go this way. Let's do, no, this is the way. This is what we're supposed to be about. We need that rebuking, correcting, training kind of thing that goes on that we talked about a few weeks ago. We're a part of a system. Families are a system, a certain kind of system. We compared it about a year ago. They kind of are like, a, there's a sort of gameishness to them. So we looked at this series, The Games Families Play. Sometimes those games are really fun. Other times, they're really destructive, right? The games are just, I mean, they just are a beat down. But in every family, there's a system. There's a, a way in which we operate. So I encourage you, if you want to know more about what does it look like to have healthy systems, have a healthy relationship in your families, you can go back and check out that series. But this is what we're to be in the church. We're to be accountable to one another. Understand that our actions affect each other. And the other thing is that as the family of God, we honor each other. This is what Paul really has in mind, what he's telling Timothy to do. He says, you cannot give instruction apart from honoring the people in the church. So he says elsewhere, Romans 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. And the image here is that our love for one another means that we're actually seeking for other people to be in the limelight, right? You think about, maybe some of you, you grew up in a big family, and maybe even where food was sort of, you know, you had only so much. And I know as I've heard of folks in those situations, a lot of times, you're like, look, if I don't get there first, I may not eat. And so you're doing everything you can to be there first, get your plate, and everybody else has to then divvy out the rest. That's the exact opposite of what we're talking about here. The idea is that I'm sitting back saying, I'm taking the lead and saying, no, 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 I want you to be at the front. And we don't mean this, again, in a game kind of way where, you know, we're all just sort of pretending, no, no, you go, no, no, you go, right? That thing you do when you go out with friends to to go eat dinner, I'm going to pay, no, I'll pay, no, I'll pay, no, I'll pay, and you'd play this game, right? That's not the thing we're talking about, this sort of fake way of honoring each other. What we're saying is, no, we, we are really trying, and sometimes that's exactly what's going on in that dinner situation, right? You're just really trying to say, no, I care about you. I don't take your, your relationship, our relationship for granted. I really do want you to be at the forefront. I want to see you thrive. And when we do that for one another, man, God is honored. So that's the point in him saying, look, treat, Timothy, treat those older men not as men who may be slowing down physically, and maybe you know, their, their best days are behind them. No, treat them as men with wisdom. Men who, who've walked through the fires, who have a lot to offer even as maybe the, the things of time do their work. Treat them like a father. Treat them as one who deserves respect and honor. You might have to tell them some hard things, but you don't tell them hard things in a harsh way. The same for older women. Treat them like mothers with with a gentleness. Again, you might have to say some hard stuff, but you don't say it in a condescending manner. And the same thing is true of those who are younger. He says, don't treat them like, you know, patting them on the head. Oh, you're just... No, instead, treat them as younger brothers and young sisters. 
Treat them with respect. Treat them as those who are the future of the church, who need to be built up and prepared for the things that are coming. And frankly, guys, this, is, this has been a major problem. I mean, it's a problem going back to this time. It's a problem today we see in churches, we see in leadership, where leadership turns harsh. It's the exact opposite of the way God intends. Again, there's sometimes hard things we have to tell each other, but there's a quality in the way that we're supposed to do that. And, and make note, somebody pointed this out as, uh, after the first service, there's a real gift for all of these people to be in a local church. If you've ever been a part of a church where, for whatever reason, all that's left are the, fo- the older saints, and there's no young saints, that's a really hard part, spot to be in. And if you've ever been in a part of a church where it's just a bunch of young people, the facts are they're missing something really vital. And there's a lot of problems that can develop because you don't have seasoned saints who can bring wisdom and bring some, some patience into that mix. This is a great gift when you have a church that's got young people and older people and, and we get to blend those experiences and, and those giftings together. That's to be highly regarded and it's to be honored among us. So that's the first thing. That's, that's this big thing, and it's, it's only just a couple verses, but, but if we don't understand that, then all this like hard, kind of weird to understand stuff, it'd just be hard and weird to understand, okay? So we've got to understand that first. So here's the second thing. Besides focusing on truth in a wrong way, there's this other danger that we need to address, and that's by remembering that as God's household, we give as we have received, The quality of our life together is that we give having received. Again, this is Paul. He doesn't say it specifically, but he's he's calling our attention to this good news, this bigger picture truth of the gospel, which can also be described this way. We were once poor in our sin. We're, We're bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. And Christ comes and he makes us rich. That's what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us. This is the grace of God, the grace that we have received of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he's God incarnate. He sets aside his rights as God. He becomes poor. What does that mean? It means he takes your sin and my sin upon himself. He takes that rebellious tendency for us to go our own way. He takes all the, the, the outcomes of that, all the results of that, all the ways in which we've hurt each other, all the ways in which we've really just shook our fist in God's face, all the ways in which we've treated him with apathy. He takes all of that upon himself. He takes our poverty. And in exchange, he hands us his righteousness, the wealth of his righteousness gets passed to us. And the result is he dies. He dies on the cross. But then he defeats death, proving that he is God and securing the way for us to be brought into the family of God. He's made poor so we can be made rich. And so we have this storehouse, this wealth of righteousness we sung about future grace. It's, it's this idea that we've received all that we need for all that God would have us go through in this life, knowing that the battle has been won. But right now, we have to live through it. But we know that victory is on the other side. And he's given us all that we need to face it. 
He's made us rich in Christ. And it's out of that wealth that then we treat, we care for one another. We have this so that we can share it with others. Somebody has said once famously that, that Christianity, right, being a Christ follower, and, and then talking about our faith, which is like not really well-received these days, and probably for a long time hasn't been well-received, but all we're doing is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. If you think, no, 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 I'm the, the rich man who, who earned his way to God. Or, you know what, someday I'll do what God wants and he'll then owe me something. We'll, we'll be good, we'll kind of settle up. But I'm just waiting until a little later. You know, but, but at some point, like, I'll, I'll look at the bill and he'll get my part and it'll be okay. No, no, no. You and I, friends, we are bankrupt without him. And so we come now as those who have received this, this wealth, but we're reminded that man, without Christ, we got nothing. So we're coming to others going, I want you to have this thing that I've received. I'm one beggar telling another, you don't have to be a beggar anymore because there's this gift that can be yours in Christ. And that though, as good as that all is, it creates this danger. The danger is that we would take this truth and turn it into a sense of entitlement. That's, that's the concern. That's, that's the thing that's sort of going on in these last verses, verses 3 through 16, is that there's this potential for turning the graciousness of God into a sense of entitlement. To extort is to obtain by force or intimidation. And very often what happens is we sort of know the way this thing works, and if we're not careful, we begin to demand things that we've received by God's grace. We're not, we're not receiving them and, and having confidence in them. Instead, we become demanding. And that's why Paul's emphasis, three different times he says, he's making sure we understand, this is about widows in genuine need. He's concerned that those who have a real need receive what they need. So he says it a few different ways, but it's the same idea again and again. Widows in genuine need. Those who have truly have a need. What's the need? The need is they don't have any family left. And they're women in a culture where they could just be really exposed, really vulnerable. He says, no, church, you're to take care of those widows in genuine need. And the contrast he's making when he talks about older women and younger women Again, there's a lot there. I'm not diving into all of it, but, but understand big picture. The contrast he's making is women who seek the good of others, women who understand what it means to live as a part of the family of God, to, to honor others, understand that they're accountable and have lived that way versus those who just have developed this sense of entitlement, probably because they've gotten swept up in the lies of these false teachers. And so they're self-indulgent. And they're just trying to essentially mooch off the church. And Paul says, no, no, when that happens, it's a twisting of the grace of God. And it will infect the church and it will not be healthy. It'll, it's, it's super dangerous. And so that's the warning that's going on here. And then specifically, there's mention of this list. And probably there's two things going on here. One, the list has to do with who are the widows that we're going to take care of? The church doesn't have unlimited resources, but, so we need to figure out who is it that we're going to take care of, because we should take care of them. And so he's concerned about that, but probably he also has in mind, and, and scholars aren't exactly sure how this would have played out, but probably has in mind that there's this, this group of older widows 
who have shown themselves faithful and now are potentially serving in this special kind of role in the church because they say, you know what, my, my kids are grown. I'm sort of at this spot where I'm not really interested in remarriage. It's not really on the table anymore, just, just for whatever reason. But, but instead, I've received from the grace of God. I've been a part of the life of the church. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my availability because the church is supporting me financially. I'm going to use that availability to build up the church in a more special way, in a more formal way. Okay, whether that was a kind of staff spot or not, we're not sure. But, but that was how they saw their lives, is it could be leveraged for the good of the, tr- of the church, the good of the family of God. Meanwhile, he says, those younger widows... They got a lot of life. They got kids to take care of. They got a lot of things going on. It, it, not that if they don't get married, they're, they've done something wrong. That's not the point. Paul says other things elsewhere. His point here is, look, they need to keep focused on where their attention needs to be and not be led astray by these false teachers, not be led astray by pledging some vow when they're really not going to live it out. Okay, That's big picture what he's dealing with. But there's a couple of things that we need to understand in light of this idea of giving as we've received. Okay, just quickly, I want you to hear these. The first thing is we take care of our own families. Mark 7, Jesus rebuked religious leaders who were twisting the Old Testament to get out of taking care of their parents. And they're doing this thing that we do today, which is over-spiritualizing. And so they're sitting there going, oh, you know what? I would take care of mom and dad, but all my money is devoted to the stuff of the Lord. So sorry. And Jesus goes, you guys are wicked. You've taken the scripture and you're twisting it like this just to, because you really just want to indulge yourselves. This is special rebuke for them. And so Paul, in light of that, says, look, take care of your family because this, it pleases God. And we hear that. It's easy, I think, for that, those, that phrase to sort of roll over us. But this is a big deal, to do what pleasing to God. That's really what the Christian life is about. You do what pleases God. Here Paul says, you want, you want to please God? Take care of your family. You fail to do that, you've missed something vital. That's why he says, look, Anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household. He's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. This isn't some side aspect of the Christian faith. This is a key implication. And, and elsewhere, we're told in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, our faith involves giving as we have received, which means that by faith, we trust that no matter the situation that we, by faith in God's goodness, that, that we find ourselves in, that by faith in God's goodness, by trusting that he will not rip us off, we do what we can to take care of our parents in need, okay? You guys who are really young, you're like, I don't even have a job yet. Yeah, but someday you need to take care of your parents, okay? My kids included, right? <laughs> and and so this, this is, hear me, let me, hear me out. This is complicated, Okay? I know some of you, you're hearing that, and, and if you're not careful, I've just laid this giant boulder on you. You're like, oh, great. You don't know my situation. You don't you have any clue what's going on. And you're, you're naturally, like right now, it's just all the resistance in your heart. Right? You're just battling with me. You're not going to say it. You're smiling at me right now. But, but you're, you're thinking this, right? Like he doesn't know. And yet he's telling me, I'm so, you just don't know. And, and here's the thing, I don't. And I know this is complicated. And we're not getting into all of that. 
This should be the aim of our heart. Again, there are situations where you can only do what you can do. You can only do so much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blowing past that. But our heart needs to be oriented towards taking care of those who have taken care of us. Paul says this is central to the life of faith. The second part is we take care of those who have no family. As the people of God, as the household of God, we take special care to take care of those who have no family. This is what Jesus did. He showed special care for widows, and so, so should we. We're told in James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, that's a whole sermon all to itself, but why is this specially emphasized? Why is this such a big deal? Why was Paul concerned with how the widows are being treated and all these things? Because we are all orphans apart from God. We're all just, I mean, spiritually speaking, we're all just off on our own. This is important because like a widow with no family, we are all cut off from any source of life apart from God. And it's a big deal because the Father has sent the Son to make us brothers and sisters in the family of God. May we recognize, like our brothers and sisters in Turkey all those decades ago, may we recognize the great privilege it is to be part of God's family. And may we treat each other well and take care of each other in light of how our God, our Father, has taken care of us. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed thank you for your kindness, your goodness to us. And Lord, I, I pray especially today. I know this is a, a hard subject, especially as we think about how do we take care of those who are close to us. And so Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with, with not sure what to do, struggling where maybe there's there's broken relationship, things that have been going on. There's bitterness. There's, there's turmoil that's been going on for a long time, and people aren't sure. What do I do with this? Lord, I pray that you would bring insight. Lord, I pray that you would give understanding in terms of how to wisely navigate those things, but, but I, I do pray that you would work in our hearts to want to obey you, to want to value what you value, to live out your ways. God, give us help where we need help. Free us where we're maybe shackled by these unrealistic expectations. Instead, help us see how your grace frees us, how you've made us rich, and help us to use the riches that are ours to be generous to others. Could we ask for your help in Jesus Christ's name? Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.